Inside the halls of American hospitals, millions of people find comfort, healing, and support. But for many doctors and nurses, this couldn't be further from the truth. This podcast will dive into the shadows of American healthcare to investigate and uncover the abuse, control, and political power plays that leave the very people responsible for our nation's health broken and battered. We're sharing stories of professionals in medicine that have experienced horrendous treatment at the hands of a broken system that does nothing to stop the trauma. As the Association of American Medical Colleges states, long before the Me Too movement, women in medicine have instinctively banded together to counter a culture that too often tolerated harassment. From systemic trauma to abusive power to the unspoken rules of cover-ups and corruption, Mandy Irby and Phoebe will take you to the darkest corners of healthcare in America so you can have an inside look at bringing humanity back to medicine. Sensitive content warning. This podcast will share details of triggering subjects such as sexual assault and workplace violence. So if you aren't in a space to listen, respect your mental health and tune in again at another time. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Pulse Check Podcast. I'm Hehe, And I'm Mandy. And today we are going to be diving into filing complaints about providers or healthcare workers. So we're going to talk about it in two different perspectives. So Mandy's going to share what it is like and the steps that you can take if you are within the hospital, if you are an employee, you work with someone that you need to file a complaint on. And then I'm going to share a little bit about uh, how you can take action steps after your birth if you need to file a complaint on someone that worked for you, that gave you care um, during your time as a pregnant person or a birthing person or in postpartum. Um, your pediatrician as well, any doctor, any nurse uh, that cares for you, you can ultimately file a complaint on them. Um, so Mandy, I think before we dive into like what to do, I'd really love to set the stage of why is this important? Because I know sometimes it can feel like revenge or like you're, you're just out to get someone fired or, um, you know, you just want to tell your story, which that's absolutely not true. There are true benefits for a, the people who work within the hospital. So if you're, if you're there, your colleagues can really benefit, but as a consumer, everyone who comes behind you, including your own children, your own family, your friends and their children and any subsequent children that you have within the system will also benefit for this. We won't ever see improvement in care from providers and the experience that we have at the bedside with interacting with providers if we don't start to call out bad providers and demand better care. And that looks like filing complaints. That looks like telling people when the care that you received was subpar or was dangerous or was emotionally, physically, psychologically traumatizing or, or, or damaging, traumatizing or damaging, right? Mm-hmm. It, um, it's not about revenge or getting someone fired or just wanting some sort of publicity. I mean, that would yeah. be a sick PR stunt. Like, well, that people just don't do that. People are telling their stories because they don't want other people to have to experience that. Mm-hmm. And we can really achieve that 
in numbers by reporting when things happen that are unacceptable. Yeah, for sure. I think this is a great topic, Hehe. And I'm actually, um, when I think of reporting, my head just goes so busy. And you and I have chatted just as friends about this, and we've seen it in the birth community. But it is, um, it is important and relevant for the larger scope of healthcare. It's super important to report because it um, leaves a trail and it leaves a story. It's really fucking hard to attach your story to an individual person. However, even if you truly believe now I'm talking to any, anyone listening, if you truly believe one person is at fault, you know, that may be the case, but it's really hard to attach your story to one person. However, I don't think that you shouldn't try. He and I are both super supportive of telling your story, however that looks. And it often looks like you report in a variety of places. And I think that is the most effective. And often it is a person or a group of people. Often it's a system problem. So we're not just reporting a person, even if you really like your nurse, you really like your provider. They're in a really broken, not broken. I mean, it was set up like this, right? It was white supremacy, capitalist based, right? Um, business model, right? The healthcare system is a business model. So it's not broken as designed to work like this. We're just not okay with it. None of us are accepting of this. So in order to make change all over, that takes all of us. That's whomever is listening, whether you're a provider consumer or you know of other humans who consume healthcare. It is our responsibility, but also I don't want anyone listening to feel an immediate responsibility for this because that's the really shitty part and why like one of the parts of my story of why I left bedside when I realized that I was playing a role as a pawn contributing to the harm that the system creates is we are traumatized by these events. And I just spoke with a nurse just yesterday and she said, are you at the bedside? Cause I am fucking dying. And the change is so much and it's so hard. And there's so much trauma that I witness all the time that I have to do my work on. It's expensive. It's emotional. It's taxing to work through the trauma that we see and experience as consumers of healthcare and as providers of healthcare. So I'm not saying you got hurt. You need to tell your story right now. But if there's that like glimmer inside of you, that's like, I just don't want anyone else to experience this. There are ways to start to share your story. And that's what we're going to talk about today. But I am not at all. We are not at all saying that the problem lies within you not contributing your story. If you were hurt by medicine, that is real. And that makes it really, really hard. Like part of PTSD protects us in ways that like hide that truth from our brain. It preserves that story way in the back of our brain. So we don't have to think about it a lot. We don't have to remember it. We don't have to get re-traumatized by it. So unless you're in a place of safety, um, I don't (laughs) recommend like opening up that wound without support around you and maybe um, a friend or a therapist, or um, there's some online communities that we're going to talk about today that might be super helpful and make you help you feel supported. So you're not alone in telling your story because it probably does resurface some trauma. 
Yeah, you're under no obligation to report, but if you are in a place where you can use your story um, and share it, it doesn't even have to be in a formal way, right? Maybe you're sharing with the people who are closest with you um, and you're letting them know, like, where are the places local to you guys that just aren't safe to birth, um, Mm -hmm. that you won't be treated in a way that is respectful, Um, and, you know, kind of puts you, keeps you in the driver's seat. So yeah, don't ever feel obligated because this shit runs deep, right? For everyone, for everyone. Um, it's deep. Um, so yeah. And it's not linear. Like you reporting is not going to result in massive change immediately in every corner of every system. So it is a collaborative effort. It's a community effort where we, compile our stories and our truths, share them strategically, and then grow that as a culture around medicine where we are transparent and we can ask these questions and we can discuss this because that's what keeps each other safe. Okay. Let's talk about that strategy. So as a nurse, Mm -hmm. when something happens and you're like, oh boy, (laughs) All right. So we cross a lot of lines there. We can't have that. Got to report that to somebody. Talk me through the strategy as someone who has to report someone you work with every day, Mm -hmm. has to continue to show up to work, may or may not work in a collaborative, supportive, warm environment. And the opposite end of that is you're working in a super feudal environment where you already aren't really driving with the people you're working with. Mm-hmm. You don't want your patients to see this, although just a side note, you guys, your patients can tell <laughs> you can, we can just tell, we always can tell. Um, and it really does interrupt patient care. So just know that if you aren't feeling your floor and you're not feeling supported, it's worth looking for other floors because it's worth looking for other jobs if you have the means to do that too, because there are floors out there that will be warm and supportive of you. um, And you'll be able to give so much better patient care. You deserve that at work and so do your patients. But back to the patient, back to the nurses, you know, if if you are like not in a great place, you got to work with these people every day. What's our strategy here? You telling your floor best friend? Are you starting with your nurse manager? Are you like writing an anonymous letter? What's Mm -hmm. the strategy? Mm -hmm. Well, I think the strategy is going to be unique to each individual and where you work and also your state. I'm going to first preface with, I don't know how you feel about reporting, but I have heard from where I have worked in the past in multiple locations and where I have heard a lot of other nurses in their locations all around the U S it is the culture is to keep us very um, separate, right. And to keep us divided and quiet. So he, I think you're right on the money with that. Um, You didn't spell it out, but I really think, and I've learned from also others as I've been able to take a step away from the bedside. And even while I was at the bedside, I really felt this inside of me. I, when I felt trapped in my job, when I felt like I couldn't work anywhere else, I needed this job. I didn't just need a job. 
I needed this job. There wasn't a place in my area where I could do the same thing. I wasn't skilled at other things. I didn't enjoy other things. The training and all of the the overwhelm of changing jobs and plus the like stigma of leaving my team. There's just so much shit around that. He, he and I have talked about this in previous episodes. If you have not heard that, take that next on your podcast to do. But when I finally was able to come to the surface of that real made up, you know, heaviness of, I can't travel and I can't do this and I can't do that. I'm stuck in this job. I'm stuck. I need the job. I need the job. I was drinking the Kool-Aid heavy because I had my blinders on. I was just like, I have to be here. I have to do this. I have to be a good nurse in this location and do what is a good nurse in this location. And I was great, right? I was great at my job. I was great with patients. Patients ask for me and we just, I can do, right? Labor and birth, bedside nursing. I love it. But I also had my blinders on about what I was being fed and like that, that toxic culture. Once I surfaced out of that, I was seeing all kinds of evidence that I was being quieted and I was being like abused. It felt like I was in a, right? Like an abusive relationship where you're like gaslit all the time and denied your truth and um, tossed aside all of the complaints that you have. And you start to feel like, am I crazy? Because this is just not safe patient care or, you know, not legal, not, you know, we're not following human rights. We're not centering the patient. Like weren't, this isn't how it, it, how it should be. So then when I felt like I was preparing an out for myself is when I could really see what was going on and had the confidence to really stand up and start reporting and encourage my peers to report. Right. So I felt like I had an out and it was like three different outs. I was like, well, I have to do this. And I looked into what that would take. So I really felt like I'm going to report because it is right. And it is aligned with who I am at the core. I have to report. Also it's within the ANA code of ethics that I report actually. And if I'm really standing behind my nursing license and me as a professional individual with fucking kids that I can't, I know I don't want to lose my license. I do have people to support. I do have people depending on me. It's not this job. It's me as an individual and my integrity and my license that I have to be aware of, which my hospital was not protecting. I have to protect that. Then when I was starting to read and really look it up and really understand my obligation as a reporter to help maintain safe patient care at all times and center the patient, which is my nurse responsibility. Then I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. We don't even know how to report, right? No nurse around me was like, I've ever, no, I've never written a report. I've never, because the hospital says, keep it here, keep it here. We'll take care of it. Fill out our, our form that's online. So I realized also when I went to go report and I was talking to my manager, she said, do this thing. And I don't remember what it was. It was either an email or a inside internal reporting. She said, do this thing. And I was like, okay, well, I plan to, but I just wanted to talk to you about it. And I did this verbally. I wanted to talk to you about it to make sure that there was nowhere else I should do it because it seems really, really big what happened. And I wanted to tell you this story. And she said, do this thing. Also, that's not discoverable. So that's where I want you to put it. 
just in case, you know, before we can go through it. And I was like, first of all, what the fuck does that mean? (laughs) I don't even know what that is. And I was like years into my career and I was finally like standing up and like advocating and feeling like I could advocate and like, fine, fire me. But I know what I'm doing is the right thing. And I'm not just doing it to like be difficult, which is what they keep telling me. Just, just, just do your job. Just do your job is what they would say, but they wouldn't really say, oh, your job is to actually right, advocate for safety in your patients and, and within yourself. And so when I started doing that, she was like, yeah, it's not discoverable. I looked up that word. Do you know what that word means? It means they cannot, a lawyer cannot obtain that record in a legal suit. Right. I was like, um, what? Obviously my manager or whomever I told this to, right. I don't remember who I thought I could get advice about this issue, who I was supposed to go to for this issue was thinking steps all the way up to what if someone sues us, which totally makes sense. Cause that's the priority of the industry, right. Of the facility of a healthcare facility of the business is to limit their liability. And so here I am like trying to advocate either for me or another nurse. Like maybe I heard the story or it happened to a patient. I don't remember the situation, but, but they said, yeah, go ahead and put it here. Cause it's not discoverable. And I was like, no, wait. I sat with that for so long. And I was like, I understand their goals, but what are my goals? My goals are to advocate for the safety of the patient center, the patient. I would want the patient to have this story. Where do I put it? So the patient can have this story. This is part of the patient's story. If, if it had to do with the patient, or this is part of a public issue. You know, if I was talking about one provider specifically or one person specifically, so I don't remember the details, but I remember that statement so clearly. And I was like, Oh my God, I feel so alone in this because if I just do what she says, it disappears. And that's the whole goal of putting it in an internal form is it can disappear. The hospital has control over that and they can make it disappear. So I immediately emailed, (laughs) emailed the story because email is discoverable. So I wanted to support the patient and advocate for the patient in a way that may not have made sense in the chart, but I also didn't want it to go away and disappear because it was part of the patient's story. And I knew that as the nurse. So that was an awakening for me. So I think the first step is getting comfortable with your out strategy in case that's a thing, you know, in case the hospital told me repeatedly, don't email this, Mandy, stop emailing us. This is not how we handle these situations. You know, if that were the case, And then I wouldn't do that because I felt like that was the best way to advocate for my patients. They can fire me for that. So while I feel like I was doing something ethically sound and I did my own homework on that legally, and I consulted with someone who gave me, you know, that, um, advice. And I decided to do that. That would be on me and that, and I could lose that job at that facility because they wouldn't want me as a liability. 
Now, would that follow you to other jobs? Would other jobs in nursing that you applied for be able to see that or be able to find that somewhere? Obviously, if they called, I mean, that that would probably come up there. What's the likelihood of that for like, if I was a nurse, I'd be like, oh, God, so is this going to follow me or like, is this going to, you know, ruin my career going forward? Mm -hmm. That's a good question. And it had to be something that I was really confident that was legal and was right. And so if that did follow me, I had to explain that, you know, whatever I decided to do, if I just kept internally reporting everyone, you know, I've seen that happen where people then call that nurse. What do they say? They're angry. They're jealous. They're just like that. They're complainers. They are bitchers, right? They, can't be told what to do. I've heard all kinds of nurses be called all kinds of things that have left. And then I think back once I was realizing all this and I was like, were they just rocking the boat a little too hard that people didn't want to deal with them? They like made them go away. Absolutely. Probably like, sure. Some people probably weren't practicing great nursing care and that happens. I don't think everyone that's fired, you know, was just like speaking out a little too loudly, but I do feel like I've seen IBCLCs get fired for speaking out too loudly. That is like, you are gone. One day that you're there, one day you're gone. Pediatricians are like, nope, they're not allowed to say that. And I heard him say it. And so now we're going to fire him. Totally saw that. But again, if that, if that lactation consultant, you know, we're in obstetrics, so that's kind of the main area that we talk about, but I know that this is translated into other Mm -hmm. places. If that respiratory therapist or lactation consultant, or, you know, um, OT person was teaching within their scope and they were very clear and they had, um, they were, you know, within the standard of care, then I think they can explain that to their next place. And if their next place is like, oh yeah, we really like to push things under the rug too. You have to do some internal, you know, we're very strict about that. That's a red flag. And you're going to be up against the exact same stuff that you were up against at your other location. So I don't think it's detrimental to your career. I don't think it's detrimental to your license. But again, on part of my list is be very clear in your state of what your responsibility is within your license. And often what we don't hear from our hospitals and our healthcare centers is the responsibility within our license. So whatever license you hold, you have a responsibility to report unsafe behavior. And if it is found that you saw, witnessed, right? Experienced, however you experienced, heard about unsafe behavior and you didn't report it, that is on you. That is much more dangerous to your license and you as an individual than reporting in an ethical way that was, that is within your license again and again and again, and just being very like, this is how I do it. You could write out your steps for yourself. If you're ever asked be like, this is how I do it. I double check the ANA code of ethics. I double check my state's licensure agreements. I double check all of that so that you're very clear and you're centering the patient, you're centering yourself and you're centering safety or, you know, the centering the nurse centering safety, then it is your obligation to report. So that could be a double-edged sword. If you do report it, 
people aren't may not like it. They may find like, do you really need to talk so loudly? Can't you just let this go? Just file an internal report and be quiet about it. Everything's handled, right? They say everything's handled. Have you ever heard a manager encourage you to report to the state board? If they did, I would wonder what kind of manager that is. And I would consider that they're an awesome manager, but I'm still curious. So I'd love to hear about that. Um, often they'll say report it internally because that's something we have control over. We'll handle it internally, meaning it's up to us what we do about that. And it's up to nobody else. And it says often on internal internal reports, you may not have a copy of this. You may not share a copy of this in any sort of means or any sort of way and you never see it again. So that's also was a red flag for me when I was like looking into it. I thought, well, this is my report. Why can't I share this with people inside? Like, why can't I, if I don't get the answer that I want from a manager, why can't I go up the ladder? Why can't I talk to somebody else? Why can't I talk to their boss? They say it's taken care of. It's taken care of. It's taken care of. So consider, consider that, um, that story, I guess, he, he, and that each individual is going to have to consider that for themselves, but they would be, they would be working against their life, their responsibility within their license if they don't report things as well. So. So a little bit of a difference, right? With consumers and, and um, employees or people who work at the hospital. So consumers, you're never obligated to report and, and share your story if that's um, not where you are or that's just not who you are as a person or if it's just too tough for you to and that's not something you're interested in. But as a nurse and and providers, doctors, midwives, OBGYNs, lactation consultants, I mean, all of us are responsible for reporting. Um you know, you do have an obligation. So a little bit of a difference there. So isn't it funny, Mandy, how that whole idea of good, like be a good patient, be a good nurse follows us and it keeps us like so restrained. It's so interesting to hear you say like, I just wanted to be a good nurse. Um, Cause I always am telling people like being a good patient, quote unquote, is really harmful for your health. Like you should be an active <laughs> participant patient. Like you can yeah. be a kind patient and a respectful sure. patient, but being a good patient is harmful for your health. It, it like I mean, in, in America, it literally ends in death sometimes. So we have to be very careful with this. Like you need to be actively participating in your healthcare when it comes to having a baby. So as a doula, this is a really interesting place. And I turn to my team for a lot of stuff when I know that um, things have the potential to like make big waves. And so... Earlier last year, we sat down as a team and we had to go over the ethics of not being mandated reporters because doulas are not mandated reporters. Um, however, all of my team has worked in roles that we previously were mandated reporters. So we understand the gravity and the scope of that as well. Um, and also, you know, the reasons behind doing it. But then we had this interesting component that we had to consider about this wasn't our story to tell. Mm -hmm. This was our client's story to tell. We did not deliver this person patient care. We do not work within the system that actually harmed this person. Mm -hmm. um, our loyalty 
actually lies with this person. So if they decided not to file, where was our responsibility in this? Did we have a responsibility to file on behalf of that person, to file on behalf of our company? Mm -hmm. Um, Where was our responsibility? And so it's so interesting. Every doula, you know, company will do things differently, but there is that added layer uh, that you have to kind of consider when you're working in a doula role. But as a patient, um, you know, the way that you report, we have very specific steps. So I wanted to share those with you Wait. and I have them all written out. Oh yeah. Wait, before, before I'm like on the edge of my seat, I got chills when you talked about that because I was like, yes, I'm following. Yes. I'm following. Everyone listening is a friend and family member, loved one of another human. Everyone listening could be in your position where maybe they didn't pay me to be there, but I'm their bestie or I'm their sister and I'm in the room and I witness something and I'm like, oh shit, you know, I witness or, or I don't think it would be a story told. We'll say maybe I witnessed, right? What did y'all come up with? You wouldn't. Um, Okay. My guess is you're not going to report on behalf of them. My guess is you're going to report on behalf of yourself. Right. So what we ultimately decided, and we are going to have this as a policy that we revisit yearly. So we're almost due for another revisit for this, but currently for the year of 2021, what we decided to have as our policy was that if the client reported, we would also report in addition to them. But if they decided not to report, we too would not report it in a formal way. However, we felt like we had an obligation to our um, clients to be upfront with them. And so if we ever saw the named people in these cases, we would then have a very upfront conversation with our clients and simply ask, um, how are you liking your provider? Um, if there, you know, if you have any concerns or questions about your provider, please let us know. Um, also we have a couple providers that we have had some very traumatic stories with, and this provider is on that list. If you're interested in learning more about that, we are happy to share. If you feel confident in your care within this provider and there's someone you really trust and, and feel like you want them to be at your birth, we are happy to support you in that. Um, so that's ultimately what we decided. Okay. Um, Okay. Yeah. I respect that. I hear that. Um, that's not what I was going to guess, but also like, I totally hear that. And I don't know what my choice would be. You know, I haven't sat with that personally yet. Uh, I've only been, you know, nurse and patient, but, and, and I've been president births, but I haven't had the need to like have that conversation with someone and be like, you want to report this? Cause like, this is reportable, but holy shit. That was like a doula commercial. <laughs> <laughs> you don't need a doula, but how much do you know about your provider? <laughs> yeah. You know, and we ultimately decided like as a team, we didn't want to constantly be reporting providers for things that our patients didn't think they were ready to report yet. However, the obligation really lies with our clients that we're kind of coaching through birth now. 
So for us, it was really important to have that red flag list. And this is a list of providers who we have had traumatizing stories with. And the thing about this is this is not a list that we share publicly. This is a list that we share with people who have signed and paid us to help them navigate this broken system. And only if they are currently receiving care from this provider. Otherwise, in the birth room, if we have a provider on the red flag list that comes in, we simply have a quick conversation and say, this is a provider that is pretty notorious for not treating patients very well. If you feel at any point you are being violated, you give me the look, we're done with them. They're out hundred percent. You don't need to say anything. Hmm. Um, and so we kind of, we go in there with that. This red flag list is um, a very private list because to it opens up really hard conversations. You as the as the client, as the patient now have to decide, A, whether you wanna hear this story, mm-hmm. and then you have to decide, you know, if you think that's likely to happen to you, are you okay with that? Was that an offense that even bothers you? Mm-hmm. There's a lot to navigate with this. However, um, the obligation is 100% there. So we don't do formal reporting when a client decides that they don't want to do formal reporting, but we have our own internal system of okay. um, warning people almost. Mm-hmm. And that is, that's kind of the point. We want to, we want to warn people about bad providers. So yeah. Thanks okay. for sharing that. Um, I have two um, red flag lists for the public that are publicly shared that we can go at the end. So keep listening for that. If you're not local to he, he, <laughs> but you're in the birth community, um, stay tuned. We'll talk about that in a minute. So I want to hear about the list of like steps to report as a consumer. Yeah. So if you've had an experience that was less than desirable, um, or just straight up, you know, traumatic for you, the, the first thing is, pretty soon after your birth or or pretty soon after the experience, this, to be clear, this can be in a prenatal, it can be in a postpartum ward, it can be in a postpartum visit. Um, You want to write down your birth story, just a stream of consciousness. You don't want to try and block anything. You don't want to try and make it make sense. Maybe you do bullet points, but it should just be this like free thinking thing. Um, One tip that's really, really helpful is to just actually record yourself. No one else is going to see this. Um, Just set up your camera. It doesn't even have to be on video. You can just do voice stuff, but to record your just stream of consciousness is really good to, to record your emotions too. So like I say, just let yourself feel whatever it needs to, to feel. It'll be cathartic. It'll be um, really therapeutic for you. Um, It also will probably bring up a lot of things that you didn't quite remember about your birth. And that's the goal. So you're going to set that aside after you do that. And you're going to like cope with that. And then I want you to revisit it. And we're going to try and put it over the next couple days or weeks into a cohesive storyline. But there's a couple things we have to consider when we're writing this. So we want to think about the scope of the complaint. So was this an ongoing issue or was this just a one-time offense? We also want to consider, was this like an overall safety issue or was this one incident or one person? You also want to think about, was this a systemic issue or was this specific to your situation or specific to the people that attended your labor? Um, and then finally, we always want to provide them with feedback at the end of how they can improve to avoid this in the future. Um, you always want to wrap it up with given this system or the state um, ways that they can improve from the consumer's 
point of view. So once, as you have that going, or once you finished it, um, although it is important to note that time is of the essence, um, the sooner that we get these in, the sooner like clocks start ticking. And then also every um, state is going to have what's called a statute of limitations. And so it is going to actually dictate how long you have to report this. So um, some of them are one year, some of them are several years. So just know specifically to your state. But um, as you're, you're kind of crafting this letter or once you get finished of it, you are going to want to research how your hospital reports things. So every hospital is going to have a process for this. And there's usually like a patient advocacy or a patient relations department that handles all of these complaints. Um, making, your, making sure that your complaint gets into the right hands is crucial. However, it's really important to set healthy boundaries that this patient portal is very rarely ever put into place to actually advocate for patients. It's typically there to um, be the first filter of like the complaints that are coming so that they can put into place things to keep them protected, right? So I wouldn't mindset wise go in with the expectation that this is going to be an end all be all or, or that it's even going to um, you know, result in any sort of big change. However, um, you know, again, making sure that it gets in the right box is really important. If it lands in the wrong inbox, you can bet your bottom dollar, no one's going to do anything with it. No one on the inside, the internal people are not going to help external people report to the hospital. I promise you it's just going to fall on deaf ears. So we want to re research that, but we don't want to make that report quite yet. The first place you're going to want to go is back to your doctor and you want to get your medical records and your operative reports as well. Then we want to go through these and make sure that there's nothing funky in there and that everything that you remember happening or being told to you was correct. If you find any discrepancies, you probably want to include those in your letter and or consult someone who kind of does this for a limit. There, there's tons of people. I do it. Mandy does it. We've got other resources that will help you go through your medical records and talk about like the things that you see in there and make sure that it matches your, um, your birth story. So the first place that I recommend people um, submitting is going to be your state's medical board. Go directly to them. Um, I will link a website that has all 50 states where you can find your state, but we want to start with your, your state medical board. And then you want to go to the joint commission. And this is a commission that manages patient safety concerns. And so they actually look into all of their complaints. So go ahead and, and file your complaint there as well. And for the record, you're just filing this one letter. The, the letter that you have written and you've put all of your hard work into um, and you went through all the emotions and, and the thinking through and the coping with your story that all that hard work that has resulted in one letter that you're then going to share with everyone there's no need to rewrite this every time so your state medical board the joint commission um you know their priority is patient safety so coercive care abusive providers failure to gain consent all of this is really really important to them and they will investigate it um the next place that I recommend you reporting is going to be a website called mypatientrights.org. Um, and again, we'll link all of these so that you have all of this. I'll link the, the instructions here all written out for you. Um, people of color, if you are a person of color, you should go to birth X 
the just the letter X app, app.com. You should report those providers there. This is um, an app for your phone, but also a website that is designed for people of color to be able to find safe care providers um, and care providers of color as well. Um, so report them there. And then finally, Birth Monopoly. So they have this uh, really awesome obstetric map uh, that I think they call the obstetrical violence map actually. And it highlights patient experiences and nurses and doulas and other providers, midwives right in sometimes. And it highlights the abuse that happens and where that happens so that you know kind of who is in your area. I like to think about it as um, kind of the neighborhood watch um, the sex offenders websites that can tell you who lives around you. It's the same exact thing, but for abusive care providers in the maternity care system. Now, once you have done all of this, now you can go back to your hospital and you can let them know that you are filing a complaint, um, but they won't be able to shut it down. And they need to be your last person uh, to report to because Mandy, much like you said, there's often fine print that actually prevents you from resharing what you've already shared. Um, and if they are your last person to share with, then fine, you won't share it anymore. You've already shared it with the people that you needed to share it with anyway. Um, and if you do decide to take this, you know, any further and, and enter the court system, then your lawyer, uh, they'll be able to access this stuff despite any sort of um, fine print. So those are my steps for, uh, for making a medical complaint. The hardest part you guys, is is writing out your story. I can't even begin to tell you how important that very first one of writing or videoing or voice recording your stream of consciousness. It is so, so, so important. It is, um, at the end of it, it really looks just like a bunch of run-on sentences and chicken scratch and sometimes letters and things jotted down as they come into your brain, but it is that's your brainstorm. That's where it all comes flooding back to you. You need to feel those emotions so that we can really write a good letter um, and hopefully see some change. Remember, the, the power really is in numbers. Um, so we want you to share your story if you're in a place that you can do that. Um, and like I say, there's lots of people who can help you do this. Um, and we're comfortable sitting with these emotions. We are comfortable helping you put this stuff into words. We're comfortable sharing resources. Um, and we've got your back because this is, this is tough. It's intense. Um, but if you're in a place to share a story, you have got a community behind you. Mm, sure. Love it. Love that list. He he. I've been like, furiously taking notes. So all the listeners will have all of these links and we will double check, but check down below. Um, I want to talk a little bit about providers reporting here in just a second. Um, if, if y'all come to anyone in the birth community, hopefully anyone in the birth community, we're going to reference the birth monopoly, how to file a complaint for mistreatment in birth or obstetric violence site and list. So they have a bunch listed out as well. It's kind of do it yourself, but if you're talking to someone and getting support with that, they're probably also referencing that as well, but helping guide you. So you can maybe like verbally answer questions, or you guys can get together and put your heads together about the story because it can be really tough to do on your own. So we're going to link that down below. Awesome. Um, that is a really, really great start for nurses and providers to report someone or re report a system. And I'm going to go off of that list 
because he, he, and I have very similar lists. And this is also how, you know, how nurses and providers are also figuring it out because we sure as hell aren't learning how to report a harmful provider inside the system. Yeah. And we've talked about this, how I think learning how to be a nurse from your hospital is a conflict of interest. I always say that. And it's like mind blowing for some people, but I'm thinking, you know, you're not taught how to report a harmful provider. You're not taught how to report a harmful nurse. You're taught how to, like I said, report internally so they can take care of it, quote unquote. But have you ever seen it taken care of in a way that's centering the patient? Maybe, maybe not. So something, um, so here's a quick list for nurses and providers to think about because you do have an obligation, like we talked about earlier. And if you don't know where to start or how to do it, totally understandable because this is not um, one of the classes that you take in school, right? They always say like, do the reporting, but those reports change, websites break and the requirements change. So right now, a lot of that is very similar. Um, However, there is the question of HIPAA. There is the question of patient information because when you own that information and you're the patient or, you know, you're helping someone who is the patient, that is not a question. You're not, um, you're not sharing someone else's healthcare information, but when you are the nurse or the provider, that is not your information, right? That is someone else's healthcare information. And so we've been taught to be too afraid to do anything with that because everyone says that's a HIPAA violation. And I was literally told by my peers that I could not report someone to the board of medicine in my state because it was a HIPAA violation. So what I immediately did was got really sweaty. (laughs) I was like, how the hell does this work? I have to report, but literally on the board, on my state board, it asks for the patient's information. And I was like, oh shit. And that just stopped me in my tracks. It was like the third question. So I could report anonymously, but I could not report without that. That was required online. Um, so I asked someone who works actively as um, a consultant. They work as a healthcare consultant and I trust them explicitly. And I said, what do I need to get a lawyer? What do I need to do? And they were like, no, that's not a HIPAA violation. That's the board of medicine that's allowed. I could have also contacted the board of medicine, but I was, it was kind of like a bandaid. Like I just wanted to get this done and over with. And so, um, it was not a HIPAA violation to report unsafe behavior to the medical board. Now I had to assure, be assured that it was the medical board's website, right? I had lots of double checking to do, but, um, once I was able to do that, no, that is not a HIPAA violation. It is a HIPAA violation to talk about the patients, specific patients gossiping to other people. Um, but I was not doing that. I was reporting someone. So first, that's one of the sticky situations. So to uncover that second, um, I think there is benefit to writing down a quick story. Now you're not going to want to write this with patient information attached to it at all for your own records. But if you're dealing with trauma around it as well, your brain is going to remember a lot of the details very differently. So the sooner you can get that down in writing, 
what I've heard of nurses and providers doing is getting it down in writing and sending a quick email that day, you know, um, to their next level, to their manager, to their superior, um, quick email. Hey, I'm going to report this. I just wanted you to know, here's a heads up of what happened and a few details. Um, again, I don't know if that is the route that your place of work wants to take, but I've heard of that being used as a quick reminder, quick reference. So someone else can hear what happened as well, especially if it has to do with safety. Um, and then yes, you can report to your hospital through their hospital reporting system. You can also report to the state board, um, whomever is over the person that you're reporting. If it is a person, um, did you talk about department of health? Okay. So department of health is an option. Um, it's going to be different in every state, how that works, but that is, um, some states they take complaints and that could be from consumers and professionals. Um, and there are ways that consumers and professionals can go public with this information. Again, if you're a consumer, you own the information. If you're a professional, you don't own the healthcare information tied to it. So you cannot report publicly any healthcare information, but I think, um, there, not, I think there is definitely a specific place around birth on the birth monopoly, um, map. There's a place for professionals to report. So consumers can go check that out and they can hear professional stories of something that happened at certain workplaces. Um, someone reviews that before it goes onto the map, just to double check that it doesn't have any, um, HIPAA information in it. And also the earth app, I R T H is another reporting app, um, earth like birth, but without the B drop the B for bias. So <laughs> he, he, I can see you like drop the B for bias. So the earth app is an incredible app for reporting. It's the number one Yelp like app platform for the pregnancy and new motherhood journey made by and for people of color. So that is another public safety structure that professionals can also go in and report again, without that HIPAA information. Also for professionals to know, there was a public news story that came out recently that showed images of texts and it shows texts as part of evidence in a childbirth lawsuit. So text and email are discoverable. So whomever you're talking to, just be aware of that and be careful who you're sharing the story to, but text would not be like a place where you would report, right? You would not report that. Um, a story of safety too any of these entities. Um, Joint Commission is somewhere that can be reported anonymously. I was just on their site and you can report anonymously. In some state board websites, you can report anonymously. That means that you're also not going to get any information about the reporting if they do anything about it. If they you know, look into and or open an investigation. You're not going to get any information about that. You're probably not going to get any information if they open investigation. Anyway, OSHA is another place that I'm going to link down below. OSHA is Occupational Safety and Health Administration, and it's um, it's a national level, so it's the U.S. Department of Labor, and you can report that if you are working in an unsafe work environment or if that contributed to the safety issues that you're concerned about, you can report that each individual can report 
that on their own. They open an investigation. Of course, we're recording this in 2021 and who knows when they're going to get to all of the complaints for unsafe environments. But again, it might be your responsibility to report that to OSHA. So please feel confident that you're not like going out of your bounds, but you have a resource. When we talk about sharing your story with others, there is a difference between consumers sharing the story and nurses sharing the story because nurses have employment policies that they are held accountable to. So consumers can go on the news. I saw this happen locally for me. Um, A NICU family went to the news and I was so proud of them. I watched every single story they did all the way through. I was so proud of them. And I shared and shared and shared it far and wide because at the beginning of 2020, the NICU just closed its doors to parents and they were just acting like parents were bringing in COVID and they would give them like maybe 30 minutes at the bedside a day, one parent at a time. And they had to It was before tests were very quick and it was before vaccinations. And I know that there was a, it was a scary time, but there are so many employees that were also risking everyone in there that, oh, it was so harmful to the parents and the babies. So the parents fought back and the parents said, we are part of the baby's healthcare team. We are part of the baby's wellness team. Transfer my baby. (laughs) And they went to the news and the news was like, what are you going to do next? And they were like, I'm fucking transferring my baby. And I'm asking for another doctor to get in on my baby's healthcare. And what happens, like you have not seen a hospital move fast until you have seen them about to transfer a high paying patient out of their hospital. And they were like, oh my gosh, what are we going to do? And within a few days, the policy changed. And the parents went to the news and told their story and they were on zoom. And it was like, you could see the nursery behind them. And I saw it happen again and again and again. And I saw parents fight back and say, this is bad behavior by a hospital. We are not going to take it. Everyone needs to come together and do it. And the, you know, the news story just wanted drama. The news outlet just wanted drama and hospitals did not want drama. And so they were getting a lot of letters and a lot of emails and a lot of hate about it because A lot of people agreed that what they were doing was wrong and harmful, even though it was a very new area. They had not experienced, no one had experienced this before, but enough consumers came together and they were like, fuck that. That's amazing. Nurses, however, have to be careful. And I'm not saying don't tell your story and I'm not saying don't warn, you know, others in your community about what's going on, but you do have to be aware of your policies within your hospital If you can name your hospital, if you can name others in your hospital, this is not the legal slander. I mean, that's not what I'm talking about because slander is something that's false, but this is as an employee of the hospital, what can and can you not talk about that happens while you're an employee of the hospital and what could happen is the hospital would find out that it's you talking about your workplace in a negative light and they fire you. And that's because You are employed by the hospital. And so you are responsible for following the policies that the hospitals have in place for their employees. So just to put a light on that, go look up your um, policies, go look up how things can and can't be shared. And if you want to remain employed by that location, um, be sure to be following the policies and share things in ways that are going to be 
effective. And so I think these are lists of places that you can report so that change can happen and we can be effective with our stories and with what we're witnessing and what's happening, because we do have an obligation and a responsibility to make sure that our patients are getting the safest care possible. So I hope that that gives you confidence and less fear around reporting, because there is a lot of fear that's taught to us about reporting. We could lose our job. We could, I mean, I have seen people be bullied when they, even when administrators didn't know that they reported, they found out that someone was reported and they bullied an entire level of staff because they knew someone on that level or they had a suspicion that someone had reported and they were bullied. Again, that might be another additional OSHA complaint, right? Bullying in the workplace. Um, That might be another internal complaint, bullying in the workplace. That is not okay, but that does happen. So I'm not saying go ahead and report. It's going to be super like beautiful. It, it might, you know, it might lead to other things. They, they make it very scary sometimes to report things. And when you ask, um, there's not a lot of clear information about it and it doesn't lead always lead to direct benefit to patients and staff. So, um, you know, people who are reported, or if you look up, you can look up providers through the state boards and you can see that some have records, some have marks on their records. They're still practicing. They're still, they still have a job. They still have a license. Some have, um, sexual assault marks on their records. Some have like, um, they went to court multiple times or they had, um, lawsuits against them multiple times. They still are working. They still have a license. So you can see like even the worst offenses and the worst offenders continue to practice. This doesn't just, it's not just one time reporting and then everything stopped and everyone's safe. Also, many times reports do not follow providers across state lines. And while I was researching this podcast, he, he, I don't know if they cross providers that change their names, <laughs> right? That was another, you roll your eyes. That was another question. I was like, fuck, I've seen it. I've seen, I've seen, and I've looked up providers that I've known have worked in different States and in their new state, their report is clean, but because I know their name in another state, I had to go look for them in another state and they have a different report. You know, they have like a different record in that state, but it stays in that state and you don't get it when you look them up in their current state. So that is so frustrating. And enters the story of Dirty John, the guy who like pretended to be an anesthesiologist and like, you know, almost killed her daughters and like all this stuff. Like this is how people, bad people get and stay in medicine. Like how does a provider not have one license number that goes across <laughs> all states and you literally type in like a nine, 12, even 15 digit code. And it brings up every single thing that's ever been connected to that person, like good, bad, ugly, where they went to school, how long they've been a doctor, mm-hmm. like all the things. Mm-hmm. How do we not have that? Like we're America. It's so bizarre to me. It feels, I cannot help but think that it feels intentional. It just does. To of like, course, it's intentional. The money. We have the people, we have the smarts, we have the, the technology. Yeah. This just feels like we are living in 1940 and we're in 
2022, basically. Yeah. This is bizarre to me. Yeah, of course it's intentional. And your legal history isn't always the same as your license history. Bizarre. Yeah, those may not combine. Yeah, I just um, resubmitted. When, When a nurse renews their license in my state, I had to just affirm like I had to double check all the things. Do you meet all of these criteria? Did you get all of the continuing ed you were supposed to get? And I'm, I have to keep track of all that. And then it was like, do you follow these protocols? And it was about my um, legal, legal history. So I, was I named in a suit? Was I found guilty? Was I whatever? And I just like checked a box and I was like, what, what happens next? Are they going to do a background check on me? I don't think they do a background check. They definitely do you know, to work in some places, but to keep on my license, it did not, it was just like, you can't renew if you check the box. It, it, it just felt very like, what, how could people lie about this? And yeah, I'm sure it comes back to you and, you know, they find out and things are public, but it's super gray when it happens in other state, super gray. And yeah. people can have multiple licenses. So you can be a nurse and then you can become a midwife. You could become also when someone is on call and you're a consumer, you don't, what are you going to do? Go look up their license in your hospital bed. You can't, you can't do that about everyone. And just so if you tried to do that, if you wanted to, you're not going to find all the information, just consumers should know that whenever I talk about it on my TikTok, people are like up in arms. They're like, tell me that site again. Show me. They want me to do like a run through of every single state, how to look up the license of every single provider. And I'm like, y'all, this is only a snapshot. It's not current investigations are not on there. Investigations that are overthrown are found to be like, like I have, I've seen multiple people be like, I have no idea where that, where that went. I reported that person. I never saw anything on their license. There's so many things that happen um, on the birth monopoly site, they said that California alone had 11,000 complaints filed in that one state, right? You think 11,000 complaints went on to everybody's? No, just a complaint doesn't go on everyone's license and they don't investigate every complaint. It's just a matter of fact. So it's, it's rotten, but here we are like (laughs) report anyway. (laughs) I mean, you, there are, there is a lot of power in numbers, you guys. So report, report, report. If you are in a place that you feel like you can do that, I know that the people who come after you will be better off for it. And and any children that you decide to have in the future will too. Um, It's super important that we start to get rid of bad providers and bad nurses because at the end of the day, they really are the driving force of the trauma. They are the ones who are forcing people into um, procedures that don't need to happen. They are the ones who are not getting consent before they do things. They are the ones who are belittling patients and, and making you feel silly or stupid or crazy. Um, you know, they're the ones who are gaslighting and using insensitive language. Like it's not all providers and it's not all nurses by any means, but the bad ones, they really overshadow uh, the good ones. And they can soil a, a really good experience in, you know, just a, a split second. So 
Mm, today was good. I feel like everyone has really good, awesome action steps, um, yep. you know, writing down your story, getting through that, navigating those emotions that come up for you will be your hardest part. And then you are ready to set fire to the world and start seeing and making big waves so that you can, you know, make change. All right. Thanks for being here, you guys. This was an awesome episode. We really appreciate you hanging out with us and we'll see you next time. Bye. Thanks for joining us today. We wanted to leave you with a quick stat and something to think about until we see you next time. According to a 2018 report from the National Academies of Sciences, Engineering, and Medicine, the prevalence of sexual harassment in academic medicine is almost double that of other science and engineering specialties. This presents a serious danger that ripples into patient safety, clinical outcomes, and burnout which leads to costly loss of talent. How much safer could medicine be if nurses and physicians weren't also battling sexual harassment day in and day out? If you or anyone you know has a story to share, please contact us on Instagram at pulsecheck.podcast. We'd love to share your story.